Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Matt the Family Guy, Kent the Cat Guy, and me, Greg the Single Guy. We are recording episodes from around the globe to tell you about the best kept secret in education. That's right, it's teaching overseas. We're glad to have you join us. All right, well, welcome to the International Teacher Podcast. This is Greg the Single Guy, and I am alone today because my two uh, co-hosts are off on vacation for the spring as we're recording this. And I have a wonderful guest today that's coming from Lebanon as she records with us. And I'd like to introduce you to Mary, and she's coming to us from where in Lebanon are you from, Mary? Uh, Currently in Beirut, Greg. Can you tell us a little bit an introduction um, on your journey to where you're at now? The journey to international education, I think everyone can remember the, the person who kind of, you know, opened the, the door to, hey, you know what? You know how you always dreamed that teaching would be and um, with like lots of resources and respect and autonomy and mastery and adventure and great colleagues and you know that, that you dreamt about when you got into teaching? Well, you can have that in certain places. And so that person for me was a man named Drew Alexander, who uh, I met when I was teaching in Alaska in the late 90s. And he and his wife were working at the Juneau School District where I was. And he did a presentation one night on uh, Singapore American School, I believe, is where they were before And my jaw kind of dropped, and I was like, holy mother of Thor, this is all possible. What? Anyway, that was, I really didn't know that international schools existed or, you know, this whole world was a possibility. You know, being a teacher in Alaska has great benefits, as you know, like pensions and support. And uh, the teachers who got in at the right time certainly, you know, retired with 40% of their three highest years of income after 20 years and they you know they've been doing great so it was hard to walk away from that on the one hand but on the other hand um, going into the world of international education has not been a regret at all it was after 9-11 my daughter was 14 months old and my then husband had actually grown up in well actually um, Lebanon. He was, huh. his father was a professor at the American University of Beirut here. And he lived here from like, I don't know, six months to six years. And then moved to Yemen with his mom who was running Save the Children there. So he was also interested in, you know, international experiences. And we both felt like, you know, the the U.S. of 9-11 was, was um, we wanted out. We didn't want to be part of the let's stay here and pull the window shades down from the rest of the world. And, you know, our like, don't mess with the U S bumper stickers that we're pulling up to at the end of the work day. And, you know, all that, that kind of energy didn't resonate at all. And we said, we want to be, we want to be out in the world. We want our daughter to be out in the world and not this kind of, you know, hiding away sense. And so that took us to Thailand when she was 14 months old. So you went from Alaska, and you mm-hmm. hung up your snowmobiles, and you went mm-hmm. all the way to Thailand. 
Was it was it um, Bangkok or was it somewhere else? It was south of Bangkok, a smaller school that actually had been modeled after ISB, and uh, so down International School Eastern Seaboard, which was a great place to land. So my then husband was a, a trailing spouse. So yeah, that was my my first international posting, and I remember saying. I will never teach in the States ever again after, you know, like the first couple of weeks and, you know, fell in love with Thailand, fell in love with the, you know, the ability to wear so many hats at the school. And in four years, I taught fourth grade and then I moved back to middle school. And then I worked as sort of an assistant principal, actually, in the secondary school because it was such a small school. And I did, um, I taught IB courses, got IB trained. So was able to really get a really broad range of experiences that, you know, where else can you get that? Yeah, the opportunities are amazing overseas because you you go to a school, in my experience, I go to a school working in one position and the longer you stay there, the more positions they might move you around or give you opportunities to, and even into moving to admin for some people, which I never wanted to do. But uh-huh. definitely, I did the same thing. When I went to Honduras, it just, the first week I was there, I'm like, I'm never teaching in the States. Maybe they have books, maybe they have power, maybe they have other things that, you know, there's, there's negative things to the, where I was teaching. But of all the things I said to myself, I'm so happy that I found out about this. The fact that you were, you were in Alaska and you had somebody tell you, introduce you to the idea of international. And Drew is his name, right? So when Drew yeah. introduced you to, of all schools, you got to hear about SAS. And Singapore right. SAS is that one of those top tier. I mean, people don't like to say right. top tier, but imagine that he's telling you all about this great school at SAS. It took me a long time to get into a higher level school. I mean, I really had to pay my dues. Right. How big was how big was the school? It's east in Patia, right? The Eastern Seaboard School. How big is that? At the time, I think we were only 350 K to 12. Wow, it's grown since then. Yeah. And then, you know, and the beautiful part was, you know, then my daughter, who was 14 months old, could come in for like the daycare. You know, we lived right on campus, of course, and so had our Thai helper, wonderful tune was her name, and she would bring her every day for like the daycare thing and then come by my classroom. And, you know, if I had my break time scheduled, I could go down and play in the daycare. And then she would go home and put her down for a nap. And then I would come home and dinner would be ready. The house would be clean. Asha had her nap and I could like hang out and like take her for a walk and not have to, you know, do laundry and cooking and cleaning and everything else. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I don't think you had a maid in the U.S., did you ever? Oh, no. Yeah, no way. Yeah. That's a whole different, yeah. it's one of those yeah. little secrets. You know, I call this yeah. the secret, uh, the best kept secret in education is definitely, you've heard me say that on other episodes, but it's so yeah. true because maids of, of all things, I've had a maid in almost every country I've been in and I choose yeah. not to this, you know, where I'm at just for certain reasons, but uh, it was more difficult to arrange, but most places you go, you get a maid and yeah, yeah. you can imagine that it's some, she was probably part of your family and yeah. helping to raise your infant. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So that was yeah. Thailand. Yeah. So that was Thailand. Yeah. Got divorced in Thailand. And then I had a, a doorway to walk through. Um, I just returned from Bali actually for spring break. So it was just our spring break here as well. And I went to Bali to visit some friends and I hadn't been there since um, 2005, which was when uh, I got divorced and had the next doorway of, okay, now what? I'm leaving 
leaving Thailand and could either go back to the States, stay in Bali. I had sort of an offer to kind of help uh, develop a homeschool with the community in Ubud. And then eventually the green school formed there as well. But they said, oh, stay and we're getting this homeschooling thing going. And it's like, mm, that's kind of tempting. And then I had also just gone to the job fairs at ISS Bangkok. And I had another week to make my decision. I had received two offers that were that I was considering. One was at Canadian Academy in Kobe, Japan, and the other was CAC in Egypt. Both really good schools. And I had a golden retriever at the time also. And so going back to the States, no thank you. Um, Bali, too uncertain. You know, that whole like scrape by and create something and, you know, not with a five-year-old and not... Not at that point, yeah. Your daughter was going with you Mm -hmm. then, and your golden retriever. Did you take them both with you? And then your divorced uh, husband went elsewhere. Which one did you decide on? Went to CAC in Egypt, mostly because... I mean, it's a great, fantastic school, but also Japan was intriguing, but having a big dog in a very small place in Japan, that was like, mm. And CAC is is one of the best, it is the For best sure. school in, in Egypt as far as I'm concerned. Cairo American yeah. College is in Cairo. It's yeah. right in Mahdi, which is an expat place. I think it was back mm-hmm. in 2004 to five. I was living in Mahdi, and I would go to that little green tree uh-huh. restaurant, which is right by CAC, and I'd walk by there every day, but I didn't teach it at CAC. I was at the ESOL school, right. <laughs> and that was unfortunate for me. <laughs> All I wanted to do was work right. at the good school CAC. So you went to CAC yeah. with your dog and with your daughter, and then you started off. How long did you stay there? Um, four years. And it was a fantastic experience. It was really wonderful. And colleagues were great. Support was great. I loved living in Egypt. Yeah. And, you know, then so my daughter did kindergarten through third grade there. And um, just it was it was fantastic. It was like kind of a dreamy time, actually. So I'm going to try out the seven degrees of Kevin Duncan is what we call it. Now, if you listen to that episode, the uh, the two authors that were on our podcast before, one's named Kevin Duncan, and we started saying this. So I'm going to try this out. Among other people that I know that have worked at CAC, I do know a very good friend of mine is Egyptian, mm-hmm. and I won't say her last name, but Dolly was in the, she's a secretary mm-hmm. there. She's been there Dolly. for years. And do you know Dolly? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows Dolly. Oh, my God. Did no you know way. that Dolly and I were, were in college together and that graduated together from Lawrence University oh, and we were amazing. roommates in Minneapolis for an entire year? Shout out to Dolly. Everyone loves you. Everybody that I have connections and I won't go through the other connections I have with CAC, but it's been a pleasure and so astounding to know that people yes. know the wonderful yes. person named yes, Dolly. Yes, yes, yes. She's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Thank you for uh, connecting that one. That's like one degree right there. That's it. Boom. Done. (laughs) I love it. Four years in Cairo and Mahdi is a great place. I remember playing softball in the leagues. I remember the Germans would bring the beer. And did you ever go to the Canadian, uh, the third Thursday of of the month, the Canadians would have a big bash at their embassy I don't think so. in Cairo. But what was Did you ever the, go to that one? Think, really? Oh my god, it was so much fun. 
Well, I'm not Canadian, and the thing is, I went there and I forgot my passport, and the Canadians I went with really played it up, and they're like, "Oh, Greg, you're probably gonna have to just, you know, go all the way, you know, take the hour back home and take the taxi back. You're probably not gonna get in because it's really tough security. It's very important. They they're very secure. It's." And I said, okay, well, I'll try. And we get to the, mm-hmm. to the gate, or not to the gate, to get to the entrance, and there's <laughs> literally there is a county Mountie there mm-hmm. with a metal detector. And they're all going through and showing their passports. And I looked at the guy, and I, I was about to go through the metal detector, and I said, I, I'm sorry, sir, I don't remember where my, I didn't bring my passport. I, can I still get in? And he said, I don't know. Do you know any Canadians? And I said, well, yes. And then this guy was serious, like he was like a border patrol, right? He's like, you, so you do know some Canadians? I said, yeah, they just walk right through. And he goes, all right, uh, do you like Canada? <laughs> and I was like, uh, yes, of course I love Canada. And he goes, can you name a province? <laughs> and I don't remember what I said, but I guess the moral of the story was it was so yeah. much fun because he was just ragging yeah. me on. He was just giving me a grief just for fun. I went upstairs and there's all these Canadians and Americans partying. And it was one of my memories. I have so many memories from Cairo and from teaching there. It was not a great experience mm-hmm. of teaching, but mm-hmm. life there was right. amazing. Yeah, I, I know right? other friends who've had jobs in Cairo and, and and there are some schools there that are tough. Yeah, so you want to be careful. But you had a good four years. Oh my God, no, I had a, an amazing four years. It what did you been. teach there? Um, middle school humanities and health. But you didn't stay there long and your daughter ended up going to school in, in, in CAC then as she was yep. getting older. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So she did kindergarten through third grade. Yeah. And then I was just starting to feel the, the tug of uh, my parents getting older and having the, you know, the granddaughter so far away and neither of my parents ever left the States to travel. So that was, um, you know, that's tough. I think when I was always really envious when people's parents would come and visit and be able to share that, that was nothing that, that I ever had. And so it was always, you know, us making the trips back. Um, as soon as we were out, boom, on the plane back and seeing grandma and grandpa and, you know, and that was great, but they were, they were getting up there and I was getting concerned. And then, um, so I did resign from CAC and then went back to the States and then my dad died, um, two weeks into my new job back there. Oh my gosh. So it was, I was able to be with him though. So that was, um, it was good. And then we moved my mom out to Oregon with us after um, after my dad passed, and that was in Michigan. And so, yeah, so that was seven years of being back in Oregon and with my mom, and then she subsequently moved to Seattle with my other siblings, um, which is where she is now. So, yeah, and, you know, and I wanted to also make sure that, that my daughter had that sense of you know, having a, a home base in the States as well. And like, oh, I want to like have a house and a golden retriever and a yard. And I want her to ride her bike to work, to school and, you know, like run around in the playground, at, you know, like that Americana thing. Like, Right. So she has some grounding, right? She has some grounding as an American mm-hmm. and yet she's still a TCK. She's still that yep. third culture kid because she yep. moved back for a little bit. I'm be interested to, to talk yeah. to her sometime about it or get her onto. Julia Walker's um, got a TCK across oceans. If your daughter would like to get in touch with Julia and go on to the Across Oceans podcast, Julia was in Egypt, actually. She uh, she used to get on the bus as a first grader, and I was waiting on the bus, you know, for the school bus era for quite a while with her. 
um, and her family and her parents, she started a podcast about TCKs. So let your daughter know if she wants to get, or if anybody listening out there wants another chance to have their kids on a podcast and share their stories about living with mom and dad overseas and traveling around. It's across oceans. They can get in touch with us. That was Egypt. Mm -hmm. And and you went back Mm -hmm. to Oregon for seven years. So your Mm -hmm. daughter was doing a little bit more growing up there. Yep. Went to Dubai and uh, American School of Dubai. Uh And um, that was super fun. It was a challenge for her, though. She was going through a hard time in high school transitions. And Ashland, Oregon is very different than Dubai. And so Ashland's a very... Mm, how do I say this? Like, it's a very progressive kind of artist town, very like big emphasis on kind of non-materialist things. Yeah, farmers markets and art and alternative. Yeah. So kind of like kind of like a little fun artist hippie town. So you went from artist hippie town to Dubai. That is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you really like extremes, don't yeah. you? You go from Alaska to Thailand. You go from right. from Oregon to Dubai, and from a little bar, right. farmers markets, you know, weekend stroll and yeah. hippies to the land of opportunity for the Middle East. Right? right? Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. You know, finding her, you know, sense of belonging there was challenging so that affected you then because you probably handled it pretty well i mean dubai is is sort of a slap in your face i don't know but that really affected you too as the mom how long did you guys stay there uh we just did two years there and then came home and she wanted to come back and be with her friends and so we came back and then the pandemic hit and then we were back for three years and then did online stuff at home in oregon and so yeah that was 2019, we came back and then... You have quite a story. (laughs) My very first day doing online teaching, we had a huge wildfire come through and it it basically destroyed our valley. There were 5,000 homes lost and that was September 8th, 2020. And that was our first day of online teaching. The pandemic hits and then you go online with all the fury of that and teaching Mm -hmm. online and the school getting used to it, and there's a wildfire that burns through the entire area? Mm-hmm. Oh, my yeah. God. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> you can't no, even make this stuff up. Yeah, yeah. No, I just ended my my Zoom. I was like, yes, my first Zoom class ever, and then checked my phone, and there was a, um evacuation alert for Ashland, and I was like, oh, and then texted my principal. I said, I'm going home, and loaded up the car, got all the camping equipment and food and water and the dog and everything loaded and ready to go. We didn't end up evacuating but because the wind was going north, but it spread really far, and it destroyed the two towns directly north of us. I think we came close to the apocalypse right when mm-hmm. the pandemic hit yeah. because it was two days before they announced that our school system was going to go to like home, just everyone goes home. Everyone's doing online learning. So I was part of the tech team. And I remember it was like, I think it was the middle of the week. So it would have been Tuesday for us. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the kids were going to be in school. I got taken out of any classes. We had an emergency meeting on the Tuesday. And then Wednesday, we, we planned it on Tuesday. We, you got everything ready on Wednesday. And then Thursday was the kids last day. But what happened was while we're having those meetings on Tuesday, we had a locust swarm. (laughs) I swear to God, you can't write this thing. You know, you can't make this up. Like I say, you had wildfires devastating your area. We had locusts 
like those big three or four inch locust swarms all over the sky, people stepping on them, running through them. I mean, it was weird. And then we had the pandemic. I'm like, this is biblical. It's yeah. really strange. And now I hear that they had fires sweeping through your area. Yeah. What a strange year that was. I think mm-hmm. we just narrowly avoided the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we could have zombies walking around right now, but we I don't. Know. When you really think about like all the stuff that's going on and well in Beirut, I wasn't here for the October 2019 was a revolution and the currency crashed mm-hmm. about 95%. And so if you were making 100,000, you were now making 5,000 and then the all the depositors got locked out of their bank accounts. And then of course, COVID hit in spring of 2020. And the school had to, you know, all the expat teachers had to leave, basically. I mean, they were they were allowed to just, you know, get out of their contracts because the school's like... This is back when, before, when you were in Oregon yeah, and mm-hmm, with COVID, right. right? And this is what you're talking now about what happened at the school you're at now. So they closed down during that time? It didn't close down, but the, um, the enrollment dropped. Most of the expat faculty left. and Were they ordered to or were they just choosing to leave? They were just offered to because, you know, if you're, if the currency crashes 95%, you're basically not making anything. So Right. And the school wouldn't be financially, wouldn't be able to even afford to have those yeah, teachers there. Right. So even they were doing the best that they could and still they were like, we're just, you know, if you want to go, go and we'll do what we can to support you. And, and um, so there were a few who held on here. Um, and did things like sold their house back home because they wanted to stay here and loved it so much and got through that time. And then um, August 2020 was the world's largest non-nuclear blast in Beirut that was like seven and a half on the Richter scale equivalent. And that was, I don't know if you heard about that. I did not hear about that. We had some other things going on around here around that time, but wow, I did not Mm -hmm. hear about that. And these are all things leading up. I mean, so when you got the opportunity to go to Lebanon, what attracted you to to go? And was it 2022? Is it oh, this, yeah. this your first year in yeah. Lebanon now yeah. at ACS? What led you to accept a, a position in such a hardship country, if I can call it that? I, I guess I'm not aware really of what it's mm-hmm. like there. So I guess I'm sort of the, like many Americans might be, thinking it's a hardship. Mm-hmm. It's in ruins. Why would you want to go there? Yeah. Right. Can I just right. say it that way? I mean, I don't feel that way, but some right. people might. I have a little bit different take. Um, right. And even um, you even being in the Gulf still, you know, might have the perception of, you know, all that you see on the news about Lebanon. But it's like I said, I had, um, you know, some family connections to Lebanon. And, and um, so I heard lots of beautiful things about Lebanon, especially during the golden age, the 60s and 70s. Ah, the Paris of the Middle East. And I've had opportunities also, like you, I have history with it, but but you have history, you had history, um, and you knew about Lebanon based on your first marriage and your daughter's um, father. So you know about Lebanon, and you decided to go there because of that? Yes. You. When we, when we were living in Dubai, we actually came over here. So it was 2018. So it was pre-crisis and, uh, yeah, just loved it. And so this is like, it's, it's a place you, you'll fall in love with it. Like Lebanon will steal your heart if you, if you come here and it's in my opinion, and I've now been to, I just counted them up 56 countries. This is the world's most underrated country. And, um, it has beautiful mountains. There's like 12 ski resorts. 
We're right on the Mediterranean. It's gorgeous. I'm like looking out at uh, an amazing seascape right now. The food, of course, Lebanese food, I'm sure you've had. And just the spirit of the people, there's a dignity that's like really just remarkable. Yeah, despite it all, there's this spirit and this dignity that the Lebanese people have. Yeah, I wanted this experience in leadership for myself um, is a great opportunity, and but also just feeling this affinity for Beirut, for Lebanon, for you know being a part of having ACS come back, rising strong, and because it's it's got such a history, it's been here since 1905. So you know through it's well established. Yeah, hey, I have a I have a common theme that that I have always mm-hmm. felt, and it's a feeling that I've always explained to people that don't understand what it's like to teach Mm. overseas. I've been in a lot of countries which are developing or in hardship, like Honduras, for example. You may may or may not agree with this, but I explain it that when you go to a country and maybe a city that's not safe, but you go to a well-established school, what happens a lot of times is that school brings you into Mm. their family and sort of sticks out, you know, they sort of, and camp you right so you are protected by that school and that community within a situation so i was in one of the most dangerous parts of honduras because of gangs and because of uprisings and the slums and the lack you know the very low income but i was at a school which is well established and they would sort of gather the wagons Mm -hmm. around their staff so expats were sort of taken care of within a certain community within Mm -hmm. that city is it sort of like that with ACS? Like if I was to go and work at C- ACS, ACS would probably, you know, really take care of me in a, in a way to, in a way of speaking. Sure. Is that something? Sure. That you but feel? there's actually, there's not, uh, there's not really a need actually. Oh, it's yeah. my misconception of Beirut yeah. right now. That's what's getting right. in the way because I, I guess I have a friend of mine that I teach with right now that yeah. is Lebanese and she is, constantly going back home and right now i just hear the worst of the worst because her family is in a very hardship area of beirut and she's taking medicine back and she's taking back money and she's constantly worried about family and that's just because she's lebanese she's part of the politics and the life there so i guess that's i have to apologize it's it's the situation is different. I don't know enough about it. So can you tell me more about what it's like to live there now and to, to work at that school? So there's there's two separate things. For like for my personal safety as an expat woman, I'm not that concerned. I've never had anything. I walk alone on the corniche all the time. Um, I mean, I don't walk, you know, like in any city, you want to avoid walking alone at night on streets you don't know. And, you know, I mean, basic things, but I've never had even an aggressive vendor. I've never had anyone come up to me at all. Never even like a weird vibe from a taxi guy, or I don't feel any personal safety alarm bells as an expat and like thievery and things like that. Those aren't a concern for me. For Lebanese people, it's very different. There's a big shortage of medicines. And I, you know, went back to the States in um, December and brought back a bunch of prescriptions with me. So I'm like, can, um, yeah, take care of things. But the Lebanese people are suffering big time right now, um, for sure. And 
Um, the state electricity is basically sort of non-functional and most places are running on diesel generators. And so teachers will have to kind of time their arriving and leaving around like when electricity is happening in their apartment or else they'll have to walk up 14 flights of stairs because the elevator is not operational. You know, the campus has 24-hour electricity, but most of Lebanon does not. And so, and teachers who live off campus don't. So the um, high school principal that I interviewed with was, you know, he was sitting in the dark with, you know, a a little uh, solar-powered lantern going when we were interviewing and he was... I'm only laughing because I can empathize. Honduras was the same way. We would go for a week without power, without water. You know, we were used to that. And that's part of the joy of teaching overseas. You go through these kinds of hardships and the school might protect you from some of it, but you're still going to feel it and you're still going to experience it. But those are some of the best stories I've ever had. That's a great picture that you're painting, though, of Beirut right Mm -hmm. now in general for teaching at that school. We'll take a moment's break now to remind you how to reach out to us. Of course, you can address any negative comments to Kent, the cat guy. We do love to hear from you. If you're out on Facebook, we don't do that, but our handle on both Instagram and Twitter are at ITPexpats with an S, I-T-P-E-X-P-A-T-S. As a handle, if you want to, you can send us an old email at internationalteacherpodcast at gmail.com, or you can visit us at our new website at www.itpexpat.com, www.itpexpat.com. Well, back to the show. Are there a lot of French speaking people there or is it it's mainly arabic and french and english right yeah it's a beautiful mix of french arabic and english and um and all of our students and will take french and arabic yeah it's beautiful and in conversations out on the street you'll hear lebanese people will be in the middle of it like one sentence will have french arabic and english all kind of mixed in and it's um, i love that yeah are their street names are still in arabic and french right Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that. That's what I remember from 2004. I was there around New Year's, and that's what I remembered. It really was like the Paris of the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And you have the Mediterranean, and then you have the city, and then you have the mountains and Faraya up above mm-hmm. you. Right. And that you have all of that. Yeah. Love exactly. that. Well, and I think it's still, you know, and the nightlife in Beirut. So they, you know, they say, all right, in Beirut, you um, ski in the morning beach in the afternoon and party on the roof all night. And you can feel the spirit of of Lebanon is is a, yeah, there's just a joy. There's this group of guys that I love. I walk the Corniche in the morning before work and there's this group of old guys and they go out and um, dive into the Mediterranean and they like howl and they clap for each other and sometimes they like bark and they're like- Polar bears. Like, yeah, and it's not, the water's not that cold, but- they they're out there every morning and they're um, and it's yeah it's great and I just they make me smile because it's like that's like the spirit of Lebanon it's everything that you know all of the Instagram influencers are talking about like community and morning routine and cold exposure and you know and all these kind of trendy things and it's like here's our you know group of 
guys who are just, I call them like the barking dudes and they're out there and, and they're like, I go out and just like smile at them and watch the sunrise and do my walk. There's a real joy that this is a part of, um, you know, kind of despite it all. And uh, there's a million Syrian refugees here right now as well. The public schools have been kind of non-existent for, I'm not sure how long, several months. And so anyway, there's, it's, it's a country coming out of crisis, doing its best to come out of crisis. Our school is getting back to um, the enrollment of um, where we were pre-crisis, hopefully getting back our numbers back up. It dropped about 30%. We're getting back up there and we have great international families, a lot of UN, UNHCR families, part of our international families here. It feels to me, I mean, so getting back to the why, like it feels really good to be part of a rebuilding and, and positive change. Positive. You're yeah. helping to build the community because ACS has got to be one of those pillars of the community that they're reaching out, they're helping, they're trying to rebuild themselves, but you also are part of a greater community of Beirut. People are so positive. The Lebanese people that I know of are like, yes, we're going through a crisis right now, but we will live again, we will work again, we will be that Paris of the Middle East again, we'll Mm -hmm. rebuild, et cetera. And they haven't been able to get out of that for quite a long time, but it will be a Beirut that everyone wants to be at again. And you're part of that change, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely a a real good feeling is to be a part of positive change. And that's one of the reasons it sounds like that's one of the reasons you went back, not just because you know that it's a great place. Mm -hmm. Um, I just haven't been back yet. My friend Susie keeps saying, Greg, you need to go back. Come on back with me. Come, you know, and stay with the family and everything. And it's the best food in the world. Lebanese are all over the world. And their food is the absolute best. I agree. Yep. It's it's actually tied with Thai food for me. They're both. Oh, really? Yeah. So. I think it's tied with beer and pizza for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that means uh, hospitality. I mean, if, so your friend will, you know, take you to her family and they'll have this big afternoon meal and you'll sit around and they'll want you to eat more and stay more and have shisha and have tea and have everything and the hospitality is is built in and ingrained and yeah, just really lovely. So, I mean, I feel really proud to be here. I feel really proud to be at at such a school as ACS and um, and in Lebanon right now in its history. So, so here's a couple other questions for you in general. Then, where do people go for vacations? I know this is your first year, but uh, you've heard and you know some places that people go. Where where are the vacations usually? Well, I think Greece is pretty close. So um, that's sort of a favorite go-to, I think. Is that on your 56 already? Yeah. Have you been to yeah. Greece already? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not on my list yet. It, oh, it's okay. on my to-do list, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's a favorite. Um, our Week Without Walls trips, um, we were going to take sixth graders to Turkey, but we canceled that after the earthquakes, even though it was over in Izmir, which is pretty far. But, you know, we felt the earthquakes here too, and people were pretty wigged out and um, nervous. And sixth graders are doing local trips. Seventh graders will be going to Jordan and eighth graders will be going to Greece. Wow. So, yeah. Are you going with your middle schoolers? Yeah, I'm going to go to Jordan. 
which is amazing. Okay. And have you been there yet before? Yes. yes it's you have. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I lived in Kuwait, I had an assistant for two years. She was from Jordan. Yeah. And she's like, you have to go, mister. You have yeah. to go. Yeah. And I still haven't seen you Petra. Haven't. I still haven't seen the other parts of Jordan. And, you know, I'm in the Middle East now, but it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. I keep well, feeling like there's more time. Right? Yeah. There's more time to do it. Yeah. <laughs> What's your next vacation that you haven't been to before? What's on your actually, list? You know what? Actually, I was just reading an article this morning in a far magazine about Saudi. Lots of news about Saudi. Insane new things to see. And, you know, that as far as tourism goes, it's, uh, you know, a last frontier. Well, I heard it's opened up. That's for sure. There's a lot of advertising going on for it. And sometime, maybe yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> It makes you think about it because I remember I was living in Kuwait and we're like, I think I want to go, you know, can we get into Saudi? We couldn't get into Saudi. And and north of us was uh, Iraq and we didn't want to go there because it was post-war. Right. I don't know. People from our schools go everywhere. Living in the Middle East, you do have access to lots of places. And Beirut, I I see it on every airport I've ever been in, always Mm -hmm. has Beirut on their list of places that people are going to and from Beirut all the Mm -hmm. time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, the Middle East is really, um, you know, because you can, hey, we've got a long weekend. Should we go to Europe, Asia, or Africa? Like, where should we go? But you're like me. You've been doing this a long time. And I just, I'm fascinated by your story because you're not only an international teacher, but you spent several, you know, many years as a single mother with your daughter overseas Mm -hmm. with you, as well as in the States. And I don't hear a lot of guests that talk about going back and forth to the States, right? Mm -hmm. There's a quite a few of us that have spent careers overseas. We've been over here for a long time, but you went back and forth several times. You've lived in lots of countries and you've taught across the gamut, right? The older we get, right. the, the more different things we teach, right? right? What's your favorite thing so far about international? I think I appreciate I, I just what you were talking about. I think the thing for me that I thrive on is variety and being a teacher in general has allowed Everything from my very first job was coming out of the Peace Corps in Mali, West Africa. I got a fellowship and um, to become a teacher and so graduate school at the University of Michigan. At the same time, teaching in inner city Detroit in jobs that nobody else would teach. And they hired us as emergency substitutes in a regular position. Basically like, hey, here's people freshly back from the Peace Corps. They would be the ones who could do this. Let's get them to do this job that nobody else wants to do and we'll pay for their grad school. So it was an incredible opportunity to work in um, underserved districts and areas that were tough for teachers. And so my first two years I taught seventh grade science in inner city Detroit. My degree is political science, so that was a little range. So in two years, I taught full-time with no student teaching experience. They were just like, here's the key to your room. Mrs. Thompson's down the hallway if you have any questions. Good luck. And then um, graduate school in Ann Arbor. So in two years, did elementary certification, secondary certification, and a master's and taught full-time. And that was that was a Peace Corps Fellows program. And so and then I was like, then I started a year of doctoral work at the University of Michigan in administration and policy. And then I was like, mm, no, I'm moving to Alaska. No. And so, um, but so inner city Detroit, Alaska, Egypt, Thailand, Dubai, Oregon, Beirut, 
what, you know, what other profession can we have these experiences? The privilege of having such a variety of demographics of students to be with and colleagues and, you know, from the, the importance of a teacher wherever you are. So I think, I think that's what I appreciate most is, is the ability to have the variety. I like the way that you say it's a privilege too. And it is a privilege to be in, embedded in this career. A variety is mm-hmm. a spice of life for you as well as mm-hmm. it is for a lot of us. I, I totally agree. With, I empathize with you. I'm yeah. nodding my head going, yes, that is totally mm-hmm. me. You have a lot of stories. Is there any way that you might have a, a nice, harmless, or exciting police story for the ITP right now? Um, along what theme? A police story or custom story, whatever you like. And I like the fact you have so many that you have to have um, themes. Well, I didn't hear the police part. Uh, nothing's coming to me right now. Okay. Fair enough, because I yeah, threw that at yeah. you blindsided. We didn't talk before yeah. this interview, and I told you, maybe you'll think of one before the end. How about some advice for those people that are listening to our show that have not been overseas before? Right now versus when I was getting into it. I mean, I, I got lucky and met, you know, someone at the right time who happened to be sharing stories of, you know, the very best of international education, like Singapore American, like Creme de la Creme. Oh, luckily my, um, so it's kind of full circle because I got to hire a wonderful assistant principal and she's currently the instructional coach at Singapore American School and she's going to be my assistant principal next year. So full circle. Yeah. So Singapore American School is how I first, you know, got the, the twinkle in my eye to go overseas from then until now. And so that was, you know, we had to you know, go to his slideshow in the evening and ask him questions and everything. And like, you know, and I kind of miss those things. Like someone would come back from a trip and you'd go and watch their slideshow and gather in someone's living room and hear the stories and stuff. And, you know, and now it's just social media, which is how we share our trips and our experiences and things for the most part. It's, it's hard when um, people are not interested in your experiences, you know, I mean, and I think we've all experienced that. I go home and I, I can't relate the story about going over the border. It's more like I have to talk about the speeding ticket I got right. down the block. Or it's about the mortgage I have to pay rather than I have to pay off my, my visa fees this for next year or something like that. They don't relate to that kind of stuff. So you're right. It's, it's not always easy to go home and have people that don't relate mm-hmm. to your stories, even though you have a yeah. ton of them. Right. So you have to be okay with that to some degree and, and, um, yeah, be ready for a little of the ouch factor of like, okay, people are like just involved with their own things. And, but you know, when you can find your people to talk about and people who are really like, no, really, no, really tell me about Beirut. Tell me about like your life there. And, um, what's it like then, you know, those are really precious, you know, experiences, but back to your question, which was advice for people is there's a lot of information out there and, you know, international education is the best kept secret out there. And darn right it is. It's booming, you know, and so a lot has changed just in the last few years of, you know, what, you know, a lot of schools call themselves international schools and quote unquote, but to be really discerning about doing your research on the schools that you're going to asking questions, there's all kinds of Facebook groups. This podcast is a great resource. Um, the 
recruiting agencies have all kinds of information on the schools. I would say there's always somebody at a school that's really willing to answer questions for you because we've all reached out and done that. And once you're in it just a little bit, then there is always like this, you know, six degrees of Kevin, whoever you said. And oh, so and so is now over. Oh yeah, they followed. uh, They went to AES, and after that, then they worked for so and so. And they, there's always like once you're in it, and then you'll always know someone somewhere, or someone that knows someone somewhere, or who has just worked somewhere that you're interested in, and you can find that out. And you know, don't be shy. So verification is important, right? Reach out to a teacher if you're looking at any school and you're serious about it. Before you make that hard decision and and go for it, pull the trigger, you need to make sure you talk to somebody that's live at the school, right? I like that piece of advice, if if it's it's possible. possible. Every school I've worked at, which is seven now, I have reached out and talked to somebody in person, like an email or a phone call, but I've talked to them about what it's really like to be at the school and and a a teacher of all things, right? right? And I think that that's really important um, because you get the real... Um, you know, because schools change, like just in a couple of years, a school can go through some significant change. It took me a while to admit this, but I, I always felt that schools are pretty much right. schools and they'll, they'll live past their directors. Along the way, I really learned that they do change with the directors. They do change with the administration right. that they're in. So it's important to talk to somebody at a school currently, if you're planning on going there, is to talk to somebody that's currently there because it's changed since, you know, years back when you might have seen something on a website that talks bad about it or something. Right. 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 And the ISR reviews and, you know, those, a lot of those are outdated and a lot of those are written by, you know, people who had negative experiences for some reason or another and, and typically not positive experiences get written up there as much, which is too bad. You know, and I think that admin are, are happy to share, you know, emails and contacts of people who are, you know, um, and, and I think that if you're offered a job, say, I'd like to talk to a couple teachers currently working there. Yeah, I think that that's an important step to make sure it's really the right fit for you. And, but it has like enormous opportunities and enormous gifts and, you know, deciding what's right for your you know, you, you three on the podcast are like the family guy, the single guy, the this, and, you know, so as a single mom for me, there were, um, there's always the pull at home of like, you know, people have to leave places suddenly sometimes like parents get sick or, um, things happen at home and people get called back, um, and, you know, have to step away from the international scene for a little while and then like, okay, how do you step back in? And, and it's important to maintain relationships and connections yep. with people that, that you've had along the way. And those those are really helpful. Yeah, I love all my international teacher friends. And there's, you know, there's a special bond across the miles, across the years. And um, so, yeah, staying in touch with people is, um, it's great. And then, you know, you go somewhere and you've got someone to stay with and swap stories with. And that's the other part of the, the secret is that the longer you're in this, in this career overseas, the the smaller the world gets every year because your friends go from that school to another school to another school and you might come back around and talk about Dolly with right, me at some point right. again, right? Somebody right. else might. 
because they're teaching in India with another couple that taught in right. CAC. Seven degrees of Kevin Duncan is live right. and well. So you, you have a lot of opportunities to go around your different 56 different countries. You probably have friends in all of them and they come and go in different parts of their life along their journey. Um, what's next for you? Are you, you're staying in, in Beirut for a while. You're at ACS as a, as an administrator. Are you, uh, are there some plan? Are you planning on staying there longer? Your daughter's back in the States still, right? Oh, yeah. She's back in the States and she came here to visit and she loves it. And, um, so yeah, but I'm here. I'm loving it. This is definitely the, like, feels like the right place to be at the right time. This is my place. You got it. This is so. what we all look for. I need to find that place. I haven't found my particular mm-hmm. harbor yet. I don't know if you listen to Jimmy Buffett. The beautiful thing about Beirut is you don't feel like you're an expat living in Beirut. You feel like you're living in Beirut. Wow, that's a different feeling because I don't feel that way where I'm at right now, and I haven't felt that way in a while. But that's a spe- That is yeah. a great point. Do you bring that up with people that you're hiring? Because that is strong. Yeah, and if you don't, you should, because that, that drew me in just yeah. now. I'm ready to pack up and go work there. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm not joking yeah. either. Yeah. That is a powerful statement. Yeah, I, I didn't have it in other places either. And it was the, the high school principal who was that I interviewed with. He worked at Graded in Bombay, and he's here now. And he stayed through the crisis and through the currency collapse. He said, I, I quite like it here. So he sold his house in Missoula, Montana to, you know, to be able to stay here. And now things are, are back up and we're, we'll be getting 70% in dollars next year. And, um, but you know, he, for him, it wasn't worth going somewhere else because he's like, I I quite like it here. And I, I live here. I I don't hear that a lot from other schools. They just say, Oh, teachers love to stay, but there's a different Mm -hmm. feeling I'm getting from you. And from what you're saying with these teachers that have even stayed and sold their homes elsewhere, just so they could stay on with the school and uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's a lot to say for that school right now. All right. So listen, as we wrap up, is there any way that listeners can reach out to you or? Sure. I'm happy to answer questions. Just, yeah, mnoble at acs.edu.lb. So that's my, um, yeah, work email. Are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us as we draw to a close here? I've just so enjoyed the podcast over the years and I, you know, for for people who've asked me, hey, I'm interested in international, you know, I'll, I'll direct them to the podcast and say, hey, listen to a few episodes and just kind of, you know, get a feel for some of the things. And so really, I'm honored to be on here and, um, you know, to add my voice to the, um, you know, the family. <laughs> the That's family, you know, cheerleader for this is, this is, you know, the best kept secret in education. And, and I hope more people have the, um, you know, the experiences that you and I have been able to have and that that are unique. And, you know, there are so many people suffering burnout and fed up with teaching in the States. And, and that part makes me really sad. And I'll say, you know, before you walk away from teaching altogether, give international education a chance because it's it can be um, everything that you dreamed of when you said, I want to be a teacher and you can have those things, um, in the right place that, that it's possible. Well, I appreciate having you on our show. I'd like to thank you, Mary Noble, for being here for us and for our listeners. 
on behalf of the International Teacher Podcast and my fellow co-hosts. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and an honor. I'm really, yeah, really appreciate your time. 